Are you ready? Are you sitting down? The Shine On Podcast 2022. I've said before and I'll say it again. Divorce affects so many people out there. The money, the property, the assets, so many high-profile divorces. The conflict, the allegations, huge legal fee and support awards, you name it. Divorce is a true team sport. Incredible insight. Top divorce stories. Shine On Podcast. Shine On Podcast. The Shine On Podcast 2022. Episode 37 of the Shine On Podcast, I'm Evan Shine. On today's episode, we open the door and take a trip inside the office of a couples therapist. We have an absolutely tremendous guest on today's episode. Our featured guest on the Shine On Podcast is therapist and relationship coach, Ellen Bader. Ellen is going to take us into her office, what she sees, hears, and experiences, and what does everyone need to know about couples therapy before they take that journey? And on today's docket, we're going to talk sports and divorce. That's right. Baseball is back. The start of the baseball season is is here. One of my absolutely favorite times of the year. We're going to take a look around the baseball diamond and talk sports divorces that have made headlines. I'm going to give you my take and the lessons learned. And producer Dave, I know you're a big Red Sox fan. So let me ask you, what do you think of the Sox this year? Oh, I thought you were going to. Asked me if I was ready to pick up a bat and get out there and put me in, Coach. Man, the smell of the grass, the smell of the popcorn, the uh, the so- the. So- Dave, I can tell you when you when you were in your prime, right? Yeah. I bet no one had a sweeter stroke than you. Maybe the over the hill softball league. I think that's when I hit my prime. I I rode the bench in high school. <laughs> I rode the bench in high school, but I do love baseball like you. And, well, upper hand to the Yanks so far. Two out of three against the Sox as we record this. I'm cautiously optimistic. The Red Sox and Yankees both have enough talent to prevail. But you got to expect the unexpected. Last year, I expected the Sox to be terrible, and they made it to the ALCS. So, who knows? You liking your Yanks? I do. I feel good about it. I feel good about it. You know what I I think? I feel like we should make a friendly wager on the season. We've talked about it. Dinner, game, whether it's in New York City or Boston. With the pandemic over the past two years, we haven't been able to do it and get together in person. We can keep it simple. Dinner in a game, either at Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. How about whichever team has more wins? It's the other person's treat. What do you say? I'm in. And you heard it, listeners. So That's um, right. I I, I love it. And coming up on. (laughs) Sorry. I was just going to (laughs) say, don't let Evan weasel out of this. Uh, Steak dinner it is. That's right. All right. Only the best for producer Dave. Coming up on today's <laughs> featured guest segment of the Shine Up podcast is my interview with Ellen Bader. Producer Dave, let's fire up the docket. Let's play ball. Here's the docket. And now, let's see what's on the docket. Item one on the docket involves a terrific veteran baseball player, and it comes to us from the New York Post. <laughs> Item one. Post reports, Albert Poole cites irreconcilable differences in his divorce filing. Details coming out this spring, just this past Monday as we record this, he announced he was filing for divorce. And uh, a lot of details coming out during spring training that I think Albert would probably not rather be discussing. He'd probably rather be focusing on his final season in the majors. But your thoughts on this situation, Evan? Dave, look, right before the start of the baseball season, you said it. Star slugger and one day first ballot Hall of Famer Albert Pujols made headlines. Not because he was about to become the oldest player in baseball in 2022. And not because he was rejoining the St. Louis Cardinals where he won MVPs and world championships. 
But because Pujols announced that he was filing for divorce after 22 years of marriage and five children with his wife, and look, many people questioned the timing right before the season was about to start. Was this going to be a distraction for him, his family, and his baseball team? Why on earth would he announce this right as the season was about to start? Here's my take. There is no perfect timing when it comes to moving ahead with a divorce. It may always be hard. Pujols himself acknowledged in a statement that the timing may not be perfect with the start of the baseball season, and apparently his wife had just underwent a medical procedure. This could not have been easy. We have talked a lot on the podcast before about the importance of a team, a team of professionals, the financial advisor, the estate planning attorney, the agent, the business manager, the family lawyer, whatever the professional may be, and how divorce is a true team sport. We see this playing out right here. Pujols issued a statement through his agent, Dan Lozano, announcing the split. He was open about the decision. He acknowledged that the timing may not have been great, and he acknowledged that the situation was not easy. He also issued the following statement, that he remains committed to raising their five children in a loving and safe environment. Not ideal timing, but what a great statement from Pujols showing his commitment to his children and to co-parenting with his wife. Credit to him and credit to his agent, Dan Lozano. Item two, which comes to us from MLB.com, poses the question, can something involve Twitter, mentions of divorce, failure, and still be an uplifting story? Let's take a look. Item two. This is looking back on an item from 2020, but worth revisiting, Evan, I think. I just discovered it. It's just uh, an interesting tale. There was a pitcher for my beloved Red Sox who is forgettable. In fact, I had already forgotten about him. But in 2020, he was pitching, and some random fan named Aaron Kessler puts out a tweet that says, I implore you all to put on the Red Sox game. They have this dude, Robert Stock, pitching, and he looks like he's twice divorced and completely given up on life. I can't stop watching him. It's transfixing. What happened next is what makes it noteworthy. Robert Stock's wife, Sarah Stock, responds to the tweet and says, zero times divorced, but if he keeps walking the leadoff better, I'll consider filing. There's also a coda to this, but I'll, I'll let you talk now, Evan, and then we can, we can talk, wrap this up, but pretty interesting. Dave, it's not only interesting, but when we're prepping for the show in today's episode, like we always do, and you send me the article, I didn't know who Robert Stock was. No. I mean, I'm a diehard <laughs> baseball fan, and all I kept saying is, who's Robert Stock? And look, if you haven't heard of him, in fairness, neither did I. And that may be because his stint in a Red Sox uniform was short-lived. And look, he's bounced around to the Cubs, to the Mets in 2021. I don't think he's in Major League Baseball anymore. And there may be good reason. But let's go back to 2020, Dave, as you mentioned. And apparently Stock was having a rough night on the mound, pitching against the Atlanta Braves. He's walking people. He can't find the strike zone. He's giving up hits, runs, all in less than one inning. On social media, you got to love Twitter. You absolutely have to love it. Somebody posted, as you mentioned, that he looked like he had gone through a divorce and he's given up on life. That's how out of control Stock was on the mound. And to give Stock's wife credit, she came to his defense and she had fun with it, saying zero times divorce. But who knows? If he keeps walking the leadoff batter, maybe she'll consider filing. Two takes. One, Mm -hmm. social media. It's the day and age we live in. And I think the way Stock's wife handled it was perfect, and she had some fun with it. But the second take, while going through a divorce was not the reason, obviously Stock couldn't find the strike zone, 
He just wasn't a good pitcher. Let's talk <laughs> divorce and the impact on daily life and work. Divorce is a full-time job. It's stressful. It's difficult to navigate, especially when there are children involved. The emotional toll and stress and how distress affects daily life and someone's ability to focus at work, it's real. This is why I encourage my clients who are going through divorce to work with professionals such as therapists to help them navigate this incredibly tough time. Just to put a button on this story, Evan, after Sarah Stock made her humorous and perhaps fitting tweet coming to her husband's defense, the original poster came back and tweeted, this is a great response. Everyone on here says Robert's a great guy and I'm buying. You're an awesome sport, and I bet he is too. He gained a fan today. I'll be rooting for him. Rarely does a, a tweet conversation end so nicely. So it's <laughs> so maybe <laughs> you know this, what? I, I'm yeah. going to go out and get my Robert Stock jersey. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it'll be a Nippon uh, Hornets uh, jersey or Nippon is in the <laughs> Japanese. Who knows where he's playing now, but good for you, Mrs. Stock. Item three comes to us from thesportster.com. Item three. TheSportster.com decided to put out a piece called The Top 15 Unfaithful Major League Baseball Players, counting down a roster. Kind of a dark exercise, but what the heck. And on number four list comes Wade Boggs. He, formerly of both my beloved Sox and Evan's beloved Yanks. It mentions the fact that in 1988, this a woman named Margot Adams brought a, I guess, a palimony suit. You're the expert, Evan, but against Boggs. It all became public and became a big uh, storm for Boggs to deal with. Your thoughts on this one? Dave, we're going to stay in Boston and end the docket talking about one of the old-time Red Sox greats, Wade Boggs. On the baseball field, Boggs was clutch. He knew how to hit. Off the field, Boggs was going through a very public scandal, and reports are, as you mentioned, he had an affair. According to reports, Boggs classified himself as a sex addict. And look, here's my take. Let's talk addiction for a moment. Whether it's sex, gambling, substance abuse, and divorce, it's real. And it can affect your daily life, your relationship, your marriage, your family, your finances, and your work. Although not reportedly with Bonds as he continued to play at a super high level, eventually being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I have seen firsthand marriage. Well, I have seen first, well, I have seen firsthand marriages end because of addiction. I've seen couples enter couples therapy because of addiction, but it doesn't work if there's deniability or no sense of the effect and impact that this addiction has on a relationship, marriage, or family. I see it all the time. The impact of addiction when untreated and the role it plays in divorce and custody battles when people are fighting over their children. And while the scandal and the addiction didn't affect Boggs on the field, it undoubtedly affected his life off the field. But Dave, no one knows the city of Boston as you're the host of the Boston podcast <laughs> like you do. Take us back to 1988. How big was this? Did it affect the team? Did this stick around in the news? It absolutely did. It, it was front page news on the Boston papers for days and days upon end. It was probably a watershed moment because we're always, I mean, going back to, let's face it, the dawn of time. There were stories and tales of baseball players who are unfaithful uh, to their wives on the road. No shocker there, but rarely was it discussed publicly because Margot Adams made it public and Boggs at, at the top of his game, one of the best players in the, in the league, had to defend his love life and eventually landed him on the cover 
of Sports Illustrated with a headline that said, What Me Worry. Wade Boggs rides out the storm over his love life. To his credit, I don't think it affected his play in the end. And as you said, Hall of Fame career. I didn't like that he migrated to the Yankees and ended up on a horse celebrating a World Series title. But uh, can you Of course not. Of course not. I'm sure that image of him riding the horse in, uh, you know, around Yankee Stadium still sticks in your mind. Absolutely. We're up to the portion of the show where Evan gives his thoughts on items and issues in the news. Today's involved when a medical crisis strikes and the effects on a divorce and also has a baseball angle as well. That's this week's Shine on Spotlight. The Shine on Spotlight. This week, I'm going to shine a spotlight on a recent article from Today.com. The article talks about crisis and divorce. Specifically, when there's a medical crisis in a marriage, divorce can follow, research suggests. I believe it. Look, we've had trauma expert Britt Frank on the podcast this year to talk about trauma. How a medical crisis, a traumatic event is handled, talked about, discussed, navigated, can without question make or break a relationship and marriage. The article also talks about gender and crisis and divorce, about how the divorce risk is higher when a wife is ill, according to researchers, specifically research suggests that a woman is six times more likely to be separated or divorced soon after a diagnosis of cancer, multiple sclerosis, than if a man in the relationship is the patient. Now, there's a quote in the article from Dr. Mark Chamberlain, the study and research co-author, that says, I think men are challenged in caring for someone who has disease and treatment-related symptoms, managing the stress, managing the logistics, the way the article talks about gender and medical crisis and divorce. Very fascinating. On today's episode of the Shine On Podcast, we're going to pull back the curtain on what it's like to be in couples therapy from the perspective of the therapist, the highs, the lows, the struggle, the journey, the process. We are going to tackle it all today. Our featured guest this week on episode 37 of the Shine Up podcast is Ellen Bader. She's a psychotherapist, couples therapist, and relationship coach. She's going to give us a rare inside look into the couples therapy process, what really happens inside the sessions while working on your relationship and marriage, how to navigate couples therapy the right way, and what are the common mistakes she sees couples make time and time again. We are going to talk relationships and breakups and everything in between. Ellen, welcome to the Shine On Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Evan. Ellen, before we dive in and pull back that couples therapist curtain, let's start with your background. Children dream of all different career paths, being a lawyer, being a teacher, a firefighter, a professional athlete. For you, that dream was a bit different. Tell us about (laughs) your path to becoming a therapist And is it true that that dream for you to be a therapist really started at the age 14? Yes, it is true. (laughs) When you say it like that, I'm like, yeah, it's probably not your typical thing that a a kid is thinking about. But it occurred to me in my freshman year health class where the counselor for our, our high school came in and talked about his job and his role and what he did. And I'd never heard of therapy before. And I just, I immediately knew that's what I want to do. I want to know everything I can about relationships, feelings, communication, dealing with my parents, dealing with my friends, boyfriends. Like I just, I just knew 
for whatever reason, that that's what I wanted to do. And I, you know, at the time there wasn't like the internet, I think, <laughs> I think there, there wasn't the internet uh, in the early, what, late eighties, early nineties. And, and so I had to wait till college to study psychology. And now, now, you know, a teenager could learn some things online or on podcasts, like, you know, like this, but I really stayed the course in my mind. And that's just always what I wanted to do for better or worse. No, and for so many people out there, it's definitely for the better. But tell us, what do you love most about the work that you do? That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot I love about it. It is it is challenging work. But what I love is that I am, you know, today in my career right now, I'm really helping making families better. And that feels really gratifying as a as a wife and mother, that, that that's where I am now, that I feel like in couples work, I'm, I'm helping make not only couples function better, but families, and then from their communities and societies. So I, I really feel like this is my work is very connected to kind of making the world a better place, a safer, more loving, caring place for all humans and, and all the things that humans take care of. You know, it's so there's like everything from just, you know, kids having better childhoods to our environment being taken care of better. Like I, I really now see everything very connected and, and it's, it, this is sort of like my way of, of having an impact and making the world a better place in the ways I'd like to see it be a better place. Well, let's take that passion and talk therapy and talk relationships. Okay. What should one look for when searching for the right marital therapist? That's a great question. I think one thing that comes to mind is just making sure your therapist has specific training and working with couples. So I started out working with individuals, with working with adolescents, and then I gradually started working with families, again, with a lot of training and supervision. And I didn't start working with couples till about 10 years ago. And again, I got very specific training for working with couples. So all these different areas of psychotherapy are, are really different skill sets. And so I think if, you know, a lot of people come out of grad school and they're just sort of like, I'm, I'm going to work with everything. And, and that's great uh, because you have the energy at that time of your life to just like take on whatever comes your way. But I think over time you see that like, wow, I, I can only do so much with this situation or this population until I get more training. And so I think for couples really work with someone who's who's trained with a well-reputed modality. There's, there's several that are really wonderful, at least several. And with people who, and yeah, it's a therapist that has really gotten that specific training is number one, I think. And then number two is just someone that you really connect with because so much of what we know that's helpful about any therapy is that it's the relationship between you and your practitioner. So as long as it feels like someone you can relate to who you feel understands you, you know, who you, and then having both people feel good about that person. That's, that's even a, a smaller percentage of people, but they're out there. Now, do you find that most couples that come in for couples therapy, they use it as a last ditch effort to save their relationship, their marriage, to hold off on getting divorced? Or do you just have clients who are in healthy relationships who are looking to work with you just on communication, parenting, and really just the everyday ups and downs of life? Yeah, you know, I have both. And I would say that 
the, the latter that you describe, the people who just want to enhance their relationship or they have a struggle around parenting or, you know, something's emerged that life has brought them and they want support with it. Those, those couples just do really well in therapy and they, they get a lot out of a little bit of therapy. And then the couples that kind of are waiting till the last minute, you know, it's been 25 years of a dynamic that neither of them has really felt good in, you know, for a very long time. Like it's just heavier lifting. It's, it's harder to kind of reroute. It's possible, especially if both people want, if both people want to and are willing, any kind of anything's possible. But a lot of times there's a lot of water under the bridge at that point, And there's a lot of patterns that would need to change for them to both feel satisfied, fulfilled, you know, secure. So, I mean, I love proactive people who are couples who are proactive, but that's, that's not the norm. I would say that's just a real nice thing when it happens because they can get so much out of it and go so much further, you know, in their relationship. But mostly I'd say it's people who've tried to just figure it out on their own without having really any guidance, you know, haven't learned much about relationships and there's so much to learn. I've been studying it for a couple decades now and I'm still studying relationships and humans. But I think people take for granted that it's, you know, dealing with another person in a long-term relationship <laughs> is a is a complex thing over time. And we think we should just know how and it should just be easy or if we're with the right person, it'll be easy. And none of that's really true. We all could use support. You're hundred percent right. If, if someone's sitting in my office, it's often too yeah. late. If you're in the divorce yes. attorney's office, it's too late. And right. I hear from so many clients and so many people, you know what? This wasn't what I thought marriage would be. My expectations, yeah. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know that this is how it was going to be. I yeah. expected him to change. I expected her to be different. I expected our honeymoon phase to continue. And so I find that for a lot of my clients, if you're here, it's too late. And so many times people say to me, Evan, I wish I worked with a couples therapist early into the marriage, early into the relationship when things were not bad, when we were still in that honeymoon phase or shortly thereafter, because then we would have had a different or more clear expectation on what marriage would look like. So well said. So well said. That's, I think, very true and very insightful on those couples' parts. And it's, you know, you you are at the end game where things have, you know, there's there's now there's kind of bad blood between them. There's no good feeling, and and that's really um, far long after people should be seeking out support for sure. And and there's just a, there's a lot to overcome. There's still stigmas in our society that like you shouldn't have relationship problems or marriage. You should just know how to be married if you you know if you if you're with the right person, kind of. And that's that's just not true. People we're we're the most complex things in the world. And, well said. It's true. You know, and and sustaining a connection over the long haul, we're not we're not really biologically wired to do that. And so we have to use these higher functioning parts of ourselves, you know, our, you know, in, in terms of our brain and our values, and collaboration and a lot of things that, you know, between two people are very interesting and 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 yet complicated. Ellen, you're right. It is complicated. It is complex. And people think the honeymoon phase is going to last forever. And it yeah. doesn't. Relationships right. take work. And so what advice do you have for couples, the people that you work with, on how to keep the spark alive, how to mm-hmm. keep the relationship, you know, in a place that it may not be the honeymoon phase, but but you can still enjoy one another and still do 
you know, everything else in a marriage, in a relationship, parent, but, but that spark is still there. Yeah, it's such a good question. Again, I'm appreciating your questions. I, you know, I, I feel the things that come to mind are just making the relationship a priority that, you know, in the honeymoon phase, that's so easy to do because you're so enamored with each other and there's so much that's novel and you're so interested, you're just naturally interested, curious, engaged, like there's so much just, that's just naturally occurring. And then, but, but to keep that going, because again, after a year to year and a half, the biology of that starts to wear off. And that's, that's when like more mature relationship and love come into place, which is a real deep, there's a real deepening that can happen, but a lot of people don't quite know how to navigate that, which is understandable. We don't, we're not a society that's all about intimacy and togetherness. We're a lot about independence and self-reliance. So a lot of us don't get to see what real long-term intimacy looks like. But, you know, I think one thing people can do is because after a couple of years, maybe there's kids or people are really getting into their careers or going back to school, like life gets more full as you go through time, especially in the mid phase of life, there's like 30 years of life. They're really quite full in adulthood. And, and people tend to just like put the relationship on the back burner, like, like that they can just, that they don't have to attend to it in the same way in the beginning. And, and that, that I think is like kind of the first mistake is kind of letting the relationship be on automation and, and not, continuing to create space for you as a couple to continue to get to know each other, to continue to find out what's happening in, in each other's inner lives. And, you know, we, you just start working on logistics and kind of more surface level things and kids and we're, I mean, it's full. It's, it's, it, it's hard to create the space for the relationship at times, but not if you really recognize how much fuel and energy you both derive from it. So what, I think making what, space. Yes, go ahead. And what, what are the signs that scream to a couple, the red flags? So the things that come to mind, first thing is resentment. Like if there's any resentment that in the relationship or about your partner, that is something that if you, if you don't know how to address that on your own and get back to a good place, definitely start getting help as soon as possible. A lot of us don't know how to navigate conflict very well and how to get back to a not just a good place, but even a stronger place after navigating conflict. And so if you don't know that, how to do that and you're not good at that as a couple, you're not alone. And that is another signal to get help. Like, wow, we're not repairing well. We sort of just argue and we don't really, we just sort of time goes by and then we just sort of forget about it. And then we argue again. And if, if you're not really actively good at repairing and and understanding each other better. And again, deepening through that, that is not a good sign because things build up. And I know you see this probably, Evan, like you, you see people who've let things build up for years and years, and then it, it's really hard to unravel that. Oh, I see it all the time. I mean, when people come yeah. in and they're going through their, the history of their marriage and the relationship, I mean, people go back years. I mean, yeah. when they describe the history five years, 10 years, 15 years, you know, into the, you know, into the relationship, into the marriage, and they bring up things that it's clear to me that they've never dealt with. They've never wow. spoken with their partner right. or spouse about talking to me about it. And they're really talking about it for the first time. Like their partner or spouse doesn't even know that these are issues or these are things that bother the person. Yeah, exactly. And so they haven't had a chance to do something different or 
you know, to repair that, there's been no opportunity because people haven't known what to do with that. Or they think, well, this is just how it is, or this is just what you do. And like, none of that needs to be true. Like you get to create the relationship you want. It's your relationship. You create it together. You decide what the terms are. You decide how it functions and operates. And a lot of people don't recognize their ownership in that, that it's really, it's up to us how this goes. And they just sort of let things unravel over time and let things go. And that's, that's a bummer because it doesn't, that doesn't have to be that way, but it's, it's understandable that people just, you know, again, we don't really learn how to do these things. We're just sort of expected to know, and that's not really how it works. Ellen, you mentioned conflict and people often say, pick your battles in relationships. Be smart with what you talk about and what you choose to fight about. Agree, disagree. Disagree. (laughs) It sounds like a good business strategy, actually, potentially for someone. (laughs) But I think in your own home, everything should be able, we should, the relationship should be strong enough that we can talk about anything. We can be ourselves fully and we can talk about anything while being considerate of the other person. doesn't mean we get to just act however we want to, because that's not what we do out in the world anyway. We don't do that at home. We, we express, hopefully get to freely express ourselves while being considerate of our audience or our listener and that they have feelings too. And they have feelings about our feelings. And I just think couples do so much better if they take kind of the opposite approach, which is like, talk about everything. Talk about the little thing, the like, you know, when you didn't put your dish in the dishwasher, that kind of bugs <laughs> me. Like you gotta, I think you just gotta get that, that shit out, honestly, so that you can, so that you can get back to being in good connection that, you know, don't sweep anything under the rug would be my advice and, and learn how to talk about things without, without things becoming a huge deal or without making things worse. Cause that's a lot of people they're like, well, I can't bring anything up because it just makes it worse. So I'll just, I'll just start compartmentalizing. And I, I think a lot of energy gets kind of bound up in keeping things from our partners and that that's not good for the relationship or good, good for us or our partner. I hope my wife's not listening to this episode because she'll tell you, I, I, I load the dishwasher entirely incorrect. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's like some things aren't going to change, but at least we get to be like, you know, this, I don't love this. And you're like, oh, thank you for being with me anyway. But I That's right. Don't. Only if I could figure out how to put the bowl in the top, top rack correctly. Right. But, Ellen, but, but do you find though in, in relationships and, and what you see with couples, it's hard for both people to be vulnerable, to, to open up, to have those conversations. Usually one spouse, one partner, it's easier or it comes more natural to one person as opposed to, to both. Yeah. There's something to that. You know, sometimes both people struggle to be, be direct and honest and transparent, but, and sometimes one person's really good at bringing up their complaints, but not very good (laughs) at doing it in a way that they're, that doesn't have their partner feeling criticized or just wrong all the time. Or like, I can never get it right for you. So someone might be willing to talk about the hard things, but not very good at talking about them in a way that's good for their partner too. So that can be something they need to learn more about. And, you know, it's usually those two, actually, it's, it's rarely two people that both have a lot they want to get to and talk about and, and everything's, you know, just on the table, but it's, it's nice if there's at least one person that's kind of willing to go, willing to let things get a little 
messy or rough so that you can get to a better place. Cause you can't even get to a better place if you don't have at least one, hopefully both people willing to do that on some level. Although we've talked about if you're in my office, it's often too late. If couples are working with you, they're working on their marriage, working on the relationship. Let's talk about life before marriage. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, because I work with clients on prenuptial agreements. I work with clients before they get married. And Mm -hmm. so many times having that conversation about money, about finances, about where a couple is going to live, it's so incredibly hard. And I find people put off having those hard, tough, challenging conversations. And so I'm wondering what advice would you give for couples who are about to get married in terms Mm -hmm. of how to have these hard conversations in your 20s or 30s about life. It's so important to do. I appreciate you saying that. And we, you know, people will tend to put off the hard things. Like we call it just like, I, there's a phrase for that. I'm blanking on it right now, but like sort of pushing the ball forward, kicking the ball forward. And that's still waiting for you, you know? And so of course my advice would be talk, talk about them, communicate, please, because it's just going to get harder later. And, and I get why people don't want to, they're worried it's going to push this person away or create a big conflict. Again, it it comes back to like, I don't know how to navigate conflict very well. I I worry that it will end the relationship or that we won't be better off for having done so. But it's, it's, I think you, you probably see this, Evan, like it's, it's waiting for them somewhere. And, and maybe, you know, in your twenties, you don't realize all the financial agreements you want to have with your partner, but you, you might know something. So at least talk about what you know, or have, you know, whatever's there to please talk about that because it sets the stage for talking about more down the road. And, and couples are doing very complex things. Like, you know, they're dealing with their financial worlds, which, which can get very complex and very charged. They're also potentially raising children together, making huge purchases together, making huge life decisions where they live. And, you know, so you want to be able to be free to, to really talk everything through and, and practice getting to practice collaborating because a lot, a lot of couples I see, maybe you see this too, Evan, is that they just, they've sort of, a lot of topics have sort of like not really, they haven't been able to resolve or get to a good place together. So they just sort of go and do their own things. And then, and when the time and then eventually that just doesn't work that well because with parenting or finances, where you know, living, you know, homes and things like that, sure. they really both need to be collaborative. That doesn't mean they need to be on the exact same page, but they need to look out for each other's interests. They need to be creative in their problem solving and agreements. And if they haven't done that along the way, it, it usually something is stacked up till now it's a really big deal and there's a lot loaded with it. And it's, it's just that much steeper. And then they don't have the years of experience or building the skills and capacity to do that. I love that word collaboration. And and you're right. I see it because if, if years go by and people don't have those conversations and you're right, maybe people in their twenties or thirties, they're not necessarily thinking about children or about having to have real life conversations about what life's going to look like if you lose your job or about money or about the loss of a family member, a parent, or whatever life is going to throw at you. Those Mm -hmm. aren't the conversations that people in their 20s or 30s are looking to have because it's not romantic. It's not fun. But if you put it off and you put it off and you put it off and you don't have that conversation, 
when you need to have that conversation, it's challenging because I think like you said, people don't have the skill set necessarily yeah. because you operated independently yeah. for several years. Yes. Yes. I see that. That's like, they're just like, we just don't do this. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how have you gotten here? But let's, then they have to learn how in the midst of higher stakes things. Yeah. Absolutely. Ellen, people always say to me, Evan, you must have the best cocktail party stories as a divorce lawyer, but I would put you right up there, you know, with me. And if, if we could all be a fly on the wall in, in your office and inside the, the therapist office, we would learn about what happens, the mistakes that people make, and everyone will get an inside look into people's lives and what went wrong and what goes right. What are some of the common couples counseling myths that people have? Mm-hmm. What, the first one is that they're doomed, like that if they come to counseling, it must mean their relationship is just super fucked up. They're doomed, yep. you know, and that's not true <laughs> at all. <laughs> Again, it's it would be ideal if people came when they're young and new and things are pretty good, but they're maybe have some things they want to work on. And, and even if it's been a long time, if, if both people are willing and want to upgrade their relationship, they'll they'll get a lot out of it. So that's one. Another is that that the therapist is going to take sides, like that they have to worry about that. And, and again, this is where training comes in, where if you're really trained to work with a couple, you're trained to work with the system and their dynamic and not so much be what maybe, you know, in a court needs to happen, which is like figure out who's who's more competent or capable or who's been more, you know, done done more things wrong. I don't have to, that's not up to me. That's really up to them to decide. And so I think that, you know, couples therapy can be a place where they feel, where they both get to feel supported for their interests and who they are and what they value, that it's not my job to decide who's right, wrong, or better or anything. So those are probably the two main things I see that keep people away and want to avoid it. And then the thing I'd say that a lot of couples are just missing in general that they would benefit from is really this, you know, really just caring about how they communicate non-verbally. That's actually a huge piece of what I focus on with people is the way they handle each other, you know, on that emotional and psychological level. And it doesn't, you don't have to be a psychologist or anything to, to be good at that. You just need to care about how you're impacting this person day in and day out and, and find ways to demonstrate that and slow down, be more attentive. The way a lot of us are with our kids, we're a little more tuned in, a little more like, ooh, that didn't go well. Or, you know, we notice more how we're, how we're impacting them and maybe a little tuned into the relationship in a way that partners really need to be. We need to kind of keep our partner in that, you know, instead of just sort of like, you know, again, putting them on automatic, really, really keeping an active interest in their feelings or experience, how, how the relationship is feeling. If more people talked about their relationship, some people have never talked about their relationship. All that would be really helpful. For the past two years, the pandemic threw a curveball at us like we've never seen before. What are you seeing in terms of how people are navigating the pandemic and the stress that the pandemic has put as this additional layer? Well, this is true for me and pretty much every other therapist or coach I know, which is like we've never been more full. People are reaching out for help like they never have. And and what I see once when I'm seeing people is that whatever kind of stress was already occurring in the relationship, it, now with all this additional stress, 
and this inability to kind of off gas or resource themselves in the ways they used to, it's, it's just made the relationship issues like a much bigger deal or a higher priority to address because people are like, I can't live in this now. Like I have nowhere else to go. I can't do all the things I used to normally do to sort of get relief. And now it's time to, to face things. So as a, as a therapist, I'm like, great, this is great because these are things we want to face anyway, because the stress in our primary, if there's stress in our primary relationships, that, that actually, you know, has a physiological cost over time. And we have research to support that. And so I, I want people dealing with their relationships, but it's, it's hard because now people are dealing with them under so much more stress. And so there's, there's a, there's something that's positive about people coming in for help, but there's also just that people are kind of in worse shape is sort of what we're seeing. Like, God, people need, people are in in greater need right now than, than they have been by the time they're coming in. I see that. I mean, over the past two years in terms of my work and and clients in, in my practice, and I think for so many people, people didn't expect, obviously this, you couldn't have predicted it. You couldn't have anticipated this and you know i I, i've had couples who you know are a year or two years into marriage and they're now separating or they're working with marital therapists couples counselors because this isn't what they envisioned life to look like and then i have clients who have been married 15 20 years a few kids they were coordinating you know working from home setting up hybrid learning for their families people lost jobs people lost loved ones and so the stress and the pressure and everybody's living together. I mean, yeah. people didn't really see one another all that much. People had outlets, people were going for dinner, people go to gyms, people would go right. to different events. And now everyone's life, personal and professional is taking place under the same roof. And mm-hmm. by the time nine o'clock rolls around, many people don't have anything to talk about. Right, <laughs> right. No, it's so true on both ends. Like I've, I have had a lot of new couples t- too that, are like, this isn't what we pictured. Like they're having to navigate, like, you know, someone's having a mental health crisis in the middle of this, or like a lot of stressors that they weren't prepared for, didn't foresee. And then, and then also those longer term couples and families that are just, just kind of drowning in their responsibilities and and not being able to care for themselves or their relationship and in a way that's reasonable, you know, it's, it has been hard on people and it has been relationships have taken a lot of that stress. Ellen, I know you do a lot of coaching and work individually with people. What would you say to someone who is sort of on the fence as to whether or not to go to couples therapist, whether they think if they step foot in the office, it means their relationship is doomed, whether they're afraid of opening up, whether they're afraid mm-hmm. of letting their partner down. But what would you say for someone on the fence who's debating, do I give it a try? Or not? Well, I'd say it's really normal to have the hesitation because there is the risk that, when, you know, as you look under the cover, that you might see that this relationship has kind of gone gone its course, and so there is the risk of loss to really, if you haven't faced each other or or the things that have been hard, and there is also the the risk of having the relationship of your dreams. So it's possible that the two of you could create, could heal, repair and craft and create the relationship that you've maybe even never allowed yourselves to envision together. So 
there's this incredible opportunity to grow and develop really in one way or another, because even a relationship ending is as difficult, painful, stressful as that may be. If, if that's what two adults decide needs to happen for them both to thrive in life, then again, that's, that's in the service of our growth and development. And so I, I think I'd say either way, there's, there's growth and development on the other side. And if that's important to you, then, you know, you've kind of nothing to lose by trying it. Ellen, you mentioned early in, in the interview about work motherhood right? A, a blog, I know you have, and yeah. mm-hmm. you've also done a lot of women-centered work, mm-hmm. such as your experience working with pregnant mothers, with addiction issues, mm-hmm. as your work with women also overcoming eating disorders. Tell us, what did you learn about the woman experience, the journey, and what was this work like for you? Okay, <laughs> big question. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's a lot I could say, oh my gosh. I'd say that you know, just being a woman myself, I can't really separate out fully, you know, objectively on that. So I have my subjective experience, of course, but there's just so many seasons to a woman's life. And I think motherhood is a massive transformational experience. And, you know, also like menopause, transformational experience um, that, that really happens through our body. And so it's, there's these places in life where women, we almost, we have this huge opportunity to reflect, reassess, re-navigate our values, like really kind of redefine ourselves. And I see a lot of women take advantage of that. And it, it can change the trajectory of a marriage, let's say, or a relationship, because women have these almost like built in kind of rites of passage in life. And so there is a chance that, you know, what I've seen is that women maybe tend to be more introspective, self-reflective, willing to rewrite their story because, because there's this impetus coming from within. And, and that can be, again, really if growthful for a relationship, really growthful for a family, but it can also be really stressful too. So I, I think either way, those, those life transitions or transitioning from motherhood back into work, if you haven't been working. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity there to, you know, if you're a couple to sort of come together and re envision who you are and what you're doing and what would serve you both. And there's an opportunity for the partner in that situation to, to do the same if, if they're willing to, to kind of for both people to come together and, and really look at their lives and who they are now and what they've learned and where they want to go. I think it's important for all of us to do that throughout life, but it's not the norm. You know, mostly it's there, there's this like a certain prescription formula of sort of how life goes, but it doesn't have to look that way. It can be much more interesting and self-authored. You're also a relationship coach and you work together with your husband at the relationship school. Tell us about that and what it's like working, working with him. I know people always ask that. I, I love working with my husband. It's the most fun part of my work life right now. It's not always easy. I'd say that sometimes we, we spend a lot more time figuring out how we want to teach something together than we would alone. But we find that the collaboration is ultimately there's, it's more beneficial. There's, there's more richness to it for the students And, you know, we we come from kind of different, we're different people, (laughs) we have different nervous systems, like we're pretty different, 
but we love, we love the work we do. And so it ends up being really fun and like a really stimulating, fun part of our life. I, I know not every couple would love to do that, but we really enjoy it. Do you, do you ever find it's hard to separate the work life and the personal life? <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> totally. Cause it's like, we're, we're talking about ourselves and our own development and things we're learning and realizing with couples and as we work with them. And so, gosh, and we're parents too. So we're like helping parents and looking at our own parenting. And so it, there is a way in which I think the way I see it now is like my work and relationship life kind of, they both really support each other because I'm, I'm in it too, figuring out how to be, how to have a wonderful marriage and how to have a wonderful family. And, and then I get to help people with that. And I learn a lot through them and and then, yeah, sometimes, you know, I, we, we really are pretty good about at least once a week or so having time just for us. It's really just where we just focus on each other. But a lot of the other time we're in the kitchen cooking and talking about <laughs> all, all the things or new ideas or business stuff or whatever. And you mentioned the time that you carve out with him. And I would think that's something that might be advice you give to people that you work with. Carve out that time, make the time in the relationship. Because to have that alone time with your partner, your spouse, your husband, your wife is so incredibly important where you can just focus on each other. It's so important because so often, especially with kids, I think people feel like, well, we're together all the time or we were together all weekend, but you weren't just focusing on each other. It's so different when you, you sort of take everything away and, and, uh, you know, really just put all your attention on each other because the couple is, is sort of what the family is growing out of or the home decisions or where we live or like you're, you're creating your whole life from this relationship. And so it just only kind of makes sense when you look at it that way, that, that we have to turn towards and tend to that so that all this other complex stuff we're up to and big life stuff. That's really cool and exciting. It it needs to, it's best if it's sitting on this foundation of, you know, like we like each other, we care about each other. We're interested in each other. We want to do this together have it feel good to both of us. That, that makes such a huge difference. Tell us about the presence-centered couples coaching model that yeah. the two of you developed together. Yeah. So it's a model for working with couples virtually through coaching. And so we sort of, you know, both my husband and I really have done a lot of research and training in neuroscience, interpersonal neurobiology, and attachment, and, and sort of these in-depth models that have really informed us around how to help couples with their, just their, their interactions in the present moment. So a lot of that facilitation, it's, it's different than psychotherapy, which might spend time processing trauma or really getting in-depth family history. Like since it's coaching, we focus more on the present and the interactions between each other and having couples face each other and and work on their moment to moment handling and understanding of each other and and learning how to navigate conflict well you know teaching skills along the way but really getting good at being good interactive regulators of each other in the present moment in the session let's talk about the future of therapy over the past two yeah. years there's been a shift from yeah. in person to virtual do you see the future of therapy being 100% virtual? Do you see it as a hybrid? And what have been the benefits that you've seen or the concerns for that matter in terms of whether it's coaching or therapy taking place in a virtual world? 
Yeah. Gosh, again, a big question. I have so much to say about that. <laughs> I love it though. It is an interesting, we don't really know where this is going, but where it looks like it's going, I think is that is these virtual models, you know, there's, there's, you know, things like Talkspace and BetterHelp. I know a lot of people who use those and have like a virtual therapist and, and, and there's, you know, and even I thought I would never work with people virtually. I was so about, you know, cause, cause I work very somatically with people and, and then the, the pandemic forced my hand at that. And, sure. and it opened up a whole lot of cool things in my work too, which has been really cool. So I, I feel like I've seen and know both of these worlds now to say that there's definitely a place for virtual work. It's, a, it is, it's going to be a little different. Again, whether it's therapy or coaching, it's going to be different too. I think the accessibility is amazing. I think people just, whatever helps people attend to their mental and emotional health more easily, I am all for that. And then the in-person piece is maybe becoming like way more specialized. And, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, there's something we can't substitute, you know, ourselves. We can't, it's definitely not the same as being in person in a room with another person who's helping you through something. There's, I've gone back to a little bit of in-person work and I've really seen that how, you know, there's, there's kind of no substitute for a real live nervous system that's, that's there to support you. It, it can be done virtually, but there's a whole other level that's available. And I, I would love for that to stay in the space, <laughs> even though it may become more the minority or more expensive potentially to do. I, I think that it's, you know, there's a lot we can do virtually, but we can't do everything. So it's true. Yeah. And, and as we talk about virtual or in-person or hybrid, the mm-hmm. question I wanted to ask is alternative forms of therapy, they're becoming so popular. Yeah. I know you became immersed in, in, in yoga when you were in grad school and talk to us about how yoga and psychology are linked and the benefits looking at it from the perspective of the therapist to, to yoga in terms of your approach. And then also in terms of things that people can do in a relationship, in a marriage mm-hmm. to help them in terms of their mental health and physical health as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great questions. <laughs> Keep saying that. <laughs> I love the yes about yoga. I mean, it's, it's so important for our mental and emotional health to, to have a good, to have some level, good level of physical health online as well. It's, it's all connected. So if we're struggling in our physical health, it's going to impact our mental, emotional health, which is going to impact our relationships. And, and so being, you know, in our bodies and tending to them, it, at least on just the, even the most basic of levels in terms of sleep and nutrition and movement and rest is super important to just our physiological functioning, which totally impacts how our brain functions and which impacts how we think and feel. It's also connected. And again, I mean, I'm just, the more I read, the more I learn just the role the nervous system plays in our relationship life is, is really enormous. And so yoga is a really incredible modality for balancing our nervous system. And so I, I, it really resonates for me. It's not that everyone has to do yoga, but to, to find even a practice or a, even if it's just a routine that is for your physical well-being that look, cause it will also support your mental and emotional well-being. And I, you know, for couples to be looking out for that in each other, if you, if you feel like your partner is struggling in their physical health, just like if they're struggling in their emotional or mental health, you would want to see how you could support them in addressing that. 
because it does have a huge impact. And I, I really like people to have that. The other thing about yoga, that's really amazing, but could also be done just walking quietly in nature is creating space to be mindful because so much in relationships, things are happening really fast. We're responding in the moment. Something, something triggers a past memory. We don't even know what's going on half the time of why we're reacting to something. And then we make shit up about, well, you did this. And like, it's not even, it's true. sometimes it's just not even relevant. Yeah. And yeah. so if we can cultivate that capacity to, to self-reflect or to know what state we're in, like, oh, I'm kind of irritable and preoccupied today. Like probably good for me to let my partner even know that, or wow, I feel so grateful for my life. Like I could share that with my partner. Like there's, there's things that would come up that that could enhance your relationship and, and just your knowing of yourself so that when you're, when you're interacting, you know more where you're coming from. And so any self-reflection, contemplative practice, if you're into that, you know, relationship is a great mirror too, but you know, the physical and mental and emotional health, it, it just, it all goes together and they sort of all need our attention. At a certain point in life, we, we need to be tending to those things. I think we can maybe get by for a while without a lot of, you know, just writing on whatever we were born with, but over time, it's, it's nice to be able to look in those directions. You've been on podcasts, you've been in the media, you have a blog, you've written articles, tell all the listeners where they could check everything out that, that you're up to. Sure. So I have a website, mostly for my private practice and coaching and therapy. That's ellenbader.com. I also have a blog that I've have not written for in months. I'm writing, but I haven't, I haven't been publishing, but there's a lot in there for mothers rearranged by motherhood on motherhood and relationship and parenting. And then I teach with my husband who founded the relationship school with him. And that's uh, relationshipschool.com where there's lots of courses. And Jason, my husband has a podcast and lots of great free introductory information as well. Ellen, this was absolutely fantastic. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for yeah. coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Evan. Episode 37, Ellen Bader. She was tremendous. An incredible spot with her on the Shine On podcast. A lot of baseball and divorce talk on the Shine On podcast today. And our very own all-star, producer Dave, <laughs> hitting it out of the park with the docket on today's episode. <laughs> Just happy you can to listen be... to the podcast on Apple. No. Sorry. Um, I'll clean this up, but just happy to be in the lineup, Coach. Thanks so much. You can listen to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, iHeartRadio, Pod 617, and all major podcast platforms. And check us out on Shine On Podcast, a YouTube channel. Follow the podcast and follow me on social media for the latest content. Head over to shineandivorce.com. I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon.